0: But, but our class, uh, that, uh, our young adults class, uh, that we've been uh, going through the book of uh, James and the book of Jude. Now, these are uh, two of the brothers of Jesus. So we're studying these two epistles, these two letters together, uh, James and Jude. And of, of course, you know, when you read through the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, you know, we get little bits and pieces Uh, here and there of, uh, you know, of the family of Jesus. But of course, you know, those were written uh, to uh, emphasize his ministries, right? It's not a biography about his life. Uh, Of course, you know, Matthew and Luke, you know, they give us a little bit about the birth of Jesus. Uh, Luke gives us uh, one account of Jesus as a 12-year-old. Remember when he went into the temple and his parents couldn't find him? But other than that... Uh, the rest, the remaining uh, gospel accounts, they only focus on Jesus's ministry, and so we don't really get to see any stories about him uh, growing up and how he interacted with his brothers and, and his sisters. Well, uh, of course, we know that Mary was uh, the mother of Jesus, and we know that uh, through the, the Holy Spirit, you know, she conceived Jesus. But of course, Joseph was Jesus's. Uh, legal father, not his biological father, but his legal uh, father, did Jesus have any brothers or sisters? Okay, uh, does anyone care to guess how many <laughs> okay, uh, let 's look at Matthew chapter thirteen. We, we can get a clear uh, picture as to uh, what uh, Jesus' siblings, what his family uh, would have looked like. Matthew chapter 13, and verses uh, 55 and 56 in particular. Uh, Jesus is returning to uh, Nazareth. This is, of course, where he grew up, his hometown. And uh, it says there in verse 54, he comes to his hometown and he begins teaching them in their synagogues. You know, And the, and the people there were astonished. And they were saying... You know, where did this man get this wisdom and these, mir- these miraculous powers? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Okay, so we, we, right there we see the names of Jesus' brothers given to us. Again, in Matthew 13, verse 55, there are four brothers there listed. Again, uh, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas... Uh, Those are pretty common names, right? We we probably could list a a number of people within scriptures that have uh, those same names. So that kind of, you know, it's a little bit uh, difficult for us uh, when trying to remember the names of Jesus's brothers uh, because those names are so common. But then notice verse uh, 56. Then it says, and his sisters, are they not all with us? So how many sisters did Jesus have? All right, we, we, we don't necessarily know. We, we know it's a plural. We know it's more than two uh, because it says sisters. Uh, but Jesus had at least uh, six siblings, four brothers and two two sisters. What do we know about the family of Jesus? Uh, did, were they supportive of him and his ministry early on? And I have a question. Yeah. No, oh, but what he's supposed to be doing, they didn't. They, they did not. Like they did. All right. Well, let's. Uh, you know, how old was Jesus when he began his ministry? You know, he was about thirty years old, right? And uh, his, he would have been, he would have grown. You know, he was the oldest, and uh, his brothers and sisters a little bit younger than him, of course. Uh, but they probably never saw him. You know do anything uh, miraculous uh, until uh, the, the day he was baptized, right? Well, we don't see Jesus performing any miracles uh, before his baptism. That was kind of the, the part or the time when his, uh, his ministry began uh, early on. And so they've lived you know, most their, of most their lives with him, uh, but they haven't seen uh, these, things, uh, these things happen until his ministry uh, begins. Right, let's look at John chapter 7, and maybe this will uh, help us as well. In uh, John chapter 7, you know, when we're dealing with this question, was his family supportive of him? No, I, but, yeah, John chapter 7, uh, beginning in verse 1, it says, After these things Jesus was walking in Galilee, uh, for he was unwilling to walk in Judea, uh, because the, the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the feast of the Jews, the feast of booths was near. And therefore his brother said to him, leave here and go into Judea so that your disciples may also may see your works which you are doing. Right? Let's notice right there that he says uh, your disciples. He doesn't say us, right? He says your disciples. They're distinguishing between themselves and the disciples. Verse four says, for no one does anything in secret When he himself seeks to be known publicly, if you do these things, show yourself to the world, right? The brothers of Jesus are challenging Jesus. You know, if you say uh, you are who you are, the son of God, you know, why are you doing these things in secret? Go out in public and show people. But then notice verse five. It says, for not even his brothers were believing in him. So we see here. Uh within these verses that, you know, the family of Jesus, especially his brothers, which would include James and Jude, uh, were not believing in Jesus. Okay, but this is post-resurrection. But now when we move on into uh, after the resurrection, after Jesus dies and he's buried and he's resurrected, we see a different uh, brothers, don't we? We see brothers who now I believe in Jesus. Look with me in Acts chapter one. In Acts chapter one, uh, starting in verse 13, uh, the, all of the apostles uh, minus Judas, of course, are gathered together. And then it says in verse 14, uh, these all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus. And with his brothers. Okay, so now that Jesus has ascended uh, up into heaven, you know, now we see that the brothers are among the believing. You know, they're, uh, they believe now in his ministry. They believe now that he is uh, the son of God. And so uh, as we, you know, think of, you know, well, why does, you know, James and uh, Jude have Their own letters, their own uh, epistles within Holy Scripture uh, when they didn't believe Jesus at first. Well, we know we know why. Right. Because now they are believers. Uh, If we were to look at uh, both James chapter one, verse one and Jude verse one, uh, they both start off their letters referring to themselves not as the brothers of Jesus, but as bondservants of Jesus Christ. They make that uh, distinction both in their letters. Uh, what we're going to do again, and I know uh, we're, we're kind of uh, a little bit short on time the, this evening already, but what I wanted to do was share a lesson that uh, we went through in our class, uh, one of my favorite lessons from the book of James in James chapter 2. But again, James is a book that I know it's very practical. I know a lot of people enjoy uh, the book of James. Uh, You know, he starts off talking about those trials and temptations. You know, count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Right? That really gets you. That those first few verses of that book, uh, that we are supposed to count it joy when we're suffering and going through trials. And then, of course, uh, you know, there's the great chapter two, uh, where he talks about faith and works, and you know, taming the tongue in chapter three, and uh, of course, the effectiveness of prayer in chapter five. But what I really love about James is uh, the sermon illustrations that he gives throughout his letter. You know, it's a very interesting uh, book because it it keeps our attention because he's got all of these different illustrations for us. He goes back into the Old Testament and brings up uh, Abraham and Rahab and Job and Elijah. And, uh, you know, remember James chapter three, when he's talking about the tongue and how this small thing such as the tongue uh, can be quite wicked. And, you know, he gives us all of those descriptions, you know, that it, it, it's like the, 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 the bit in a bridle, you know, that, that keeps the horse in check. Or it's like the, the small rudder on a ship uh, or like a small fire that, you know, grows into a big uh, blazing forest fire. You know, the, again, these great illustrations that he gives. And he does this throughout this book. And so again, what we want to focus on here with our time this evening is James chapter two, starting in verse one. He's going to give us a lesson that is going to hit hard, uh, or it's going to hit home hard, because he is uh, talking to these Christians here about uh, being partial, about the sin of being partial, showing favoritism. You know, let me ask you this: Is it wrong to do the following things? Is it wrong to, you know, buy gas only at you know one gas station? Maybe you have a gas station that's by your house and you only go to that gas station or you only buy groceries at Walmart or, you know, if we go down, you know, down there by Walmart, you got KFC and Lee's chicken. And, you know, I only go to KFC. I'm never going to go to Lee's. I'm only going to go to KFC or vice versa. Is that wrong to show favoritism that way? No, that, that when the Bible is talking about uh, favoritism or showing partiality, uh, that's not in respect to what it's referring to. Uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 11, Paul says God shows no partiality. Or in the, the King James Version, uh, he says uh, th- that God is no respecter of persons. And what that word there means, and we're going to see that same word here in James chapter 2, verse 1. It literally means to receive the face, partiality, to receive the face. And the idea here is that um, we are not to favor one man's face over the other. Or to say it a different way, uh, we're not going to treat somebody differently based on their appearance. You know, how do we normally treat others You know, we, we tend to want to gravitate towards uh, people that we have things in common with, right? Uh, but of course, you know, uh, that's the difference between us and God. You know, back in First Samuel chapter 16, we're told that, you know, a man looks at the outward appearance, but what does God look at? He looks at the heart, right? How great it would be for us to be able to you know, meet somebody new for the first time and be able to look at their heart uh, rather than the outward appearance, right? But that's, what we, that's the challenge that we have as Christians is we are not to show partiality. We are not to make preconceived uh, notions based on uh, looks alone. Uh, you know, because we can tend to categorize uh, people uh, we know, um, I guess I wasn't going to bring this up, but you know we, uh, we, we, you know you hired uh, you know what some people would refer to as a, a Yankee right a northerner uh, you know that, that's a category that we would put uh, individuals in, and I'm grateful that you did not show partiality in that decision, right because uh, you didn't look at the outward appearance of myself and say that guy's from the north or anything like that. And you went ahead and hired him to uh, be the preacher here. You know, we, we see this, you know, all over uh, showing partiality, right? The, the, these distinctions uh, between uh, between others. And of course, again, Scripture has a lot to say about this because God, uh, we can look at Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse four, for instance, that talks about how God is the God of truth, and he's without injustice. He's righteous and upright. Again, the Bible says over and over again that God shows no partiality. He's no respecter of persons. I like Job chapter 34, verse 19, that talks about that he, you know, he doesn't show a partiality with princes. He shows no distinction between the poor and the rich. He, you know, he judges everyone fairly and impartial of course we know that you know his salvation that he offers is for everyone and uh you know we'll talk a little bit more about that here in a second but because god shows no partiality and because the bible uh, over and over tells us that we are to be followers of christ you know what what does that conclude about us and our uh, attitudes Right. As imitators of Christ, we are not to show partiality as well. Um, let's look at this verse, Luke chapter six. Before we jump into James chapter two, uh, in Luke chapter six, uh, starting in verse oh uh, verse thirty one, uh, notice what Jesus says here, uh, and this is Luke's uh, version of. Not necessarily it's the Sermon on the Mount, but there's a lot of similarities to this. But in Luke chapter 6, verse 31, uh, Luke records Jesus saying, "'Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. "'If you love those who love you, uh, what credit is that to you? "'For even sinners love those who love them. "'If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? "'For even sinners do the same.'" If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Uh, Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and uh, evil men. You know, Jesus here is, again, he's emphasizing for us. That we need to treat everyone uh, equally, right? Everyone, regardless of their race or their social standing, their age, their gender, um, you know, whatever that is, we we need to be reminded that everyone was made in the image of God. You know, every soul is indeed valuable in the eyes of God. So let's uh, let's well let's jump into James chapter two before I get uh, too far. Uh, Uh, Before this, but again, we want to be careful uh, of having preconceived uh, judgments. You know, forming opinions without sufficient knowledge. You remember in John chapter one, uh, verse forty-five and and following, uh, uh, Philip. You know, he he ran to uh, Nathaniel and he said, "You know, we found the one that Moses was speaking of. We found Jesus, or we found the Messiah. It's Jesus of Nazareth." You, do you remember uh, what Nathaniel said after Philip exclaimed that? Right. <laughs> what good could come out of Nazareth, right? He had these preconceived notion about the people of Nazareth. And uh, Nathaniel uh, had that, that prejudice, that partiality. Um, one preacher said that prejudice is a great time saver. It enables us to make up our minds. Without going to the trouble to learn the facts, and so again, as the true, as true disciples of Christ, as Christians, uh, we want to be concerned with all souls. You know, in John chapter three, Jesus is teaching Nicodemus. Right, this is a man of great um, of great prominence. He was a ruler of the Jews, and then we see in John chapter four, he's teaching the Samaritan woman, right, or the woman at the well. Uh, quite a contrast in the eyes of the people of that day, he taught the despised tax collectors and the irreligious of the day, and so uh, as disciples of Christ, you know we we need to remember that all souls are important, and we uh, should not show partiality because of that so let 's jump into James chapter two. Uh, starting in verse 1, I'm going to go ahead and read uh, the first seven verses. And again, here is a great uh, illustration that James is going to give. You know, He's not just going to tell us, don't show partiality, but he's going to give us an illustration for us to better uh, understand. And it's very practical for us today. Uh, because it's a, uh, well, you're going you're to notice here, it's going to be a real life scenario that even uh, we could see here today in any congregation. So James chapter 2, starting in verse 1, James writes... My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes, and say, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool, Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name of which by you have been called? We could have started in uh, chapter one, verse twenty-seven. Well, look at chapter one, verse twenty-seven, because this is a familiar verse to to many of us. Uh, where James says, "Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God and uh, sight of our God and Father is this: to visit orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unsustained by the unstained by the world." You know, James reminds us there at the end of chapter one. Uh, that, that God wants us to you know, remember the orphans and the widows. Right? That, that's what true religion is. Remember them. Uh, you know, don't show partiality against them. Uh, because then as he kicks off chapter 2 here. My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. Or maybe your translation uses the word partiality there. Uh, don't show that uh, favoritism there. Does that still happen today Does it still happen in the church today? Okay, it shouldn't, but it does we, we do see it right I've used this illustration before uh, you, so you're probably familiar with this, but you know there is a story about the the preacher who had the job interview with the congregation and uh, he he Uh, went to or he visited the congregation a week before his his tryout Uh, but he did he came uh, in disguise right he dressed up as if he um, was homeless Uh, he you know he he wore uh, clothing that he wouldn't normally have worn Uh, he tried to make his appearance look as if he was rough and uh, you know his clothing was uh, just disheveled and uh, you know he didn't again he didn't look as or no one would have recognized him during his appearance, and he, the reason why he was doing this was to see, you know, if this congregation uh, was practicing James chapter two. He wanted to see how he was, uh, how he was received when he came to the congregation. Well, as as the story goes, you know, uh, he uh, he did not show up for his trial the next week. You know, we we can understand why. Right? Because he felt as if uh, you know the congregation uh, treated him poorly uh, because of the way uh, that he uh, looked. Let me ask you this before we move any further. Who is one of the poorest, uh, financially poorest men in Scripture? Probably Paul. Paul? Paul was thinking of Jesus. Okay. Yeah, I was thinking of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, yeah where did Jesus have to lay his head? Scripture says nowhere, nowhere. nowhere. right uh, he didn't come as this great military leader or a king uh like David, like most of the Jews expected Jesus to come, but he came as a lowly servant right he He washed feet of his disciples that's the that's how Jesus Christ came Again, he had nowhere to lay his head. And uh, as we as we think about that again in James chapter two, you know, to illustrate unjust partiality, you know, James is presenting us with this scenario. Uh, He's envisioning this possibility of these two individuals coming into a congregation uh, on the same day. Again, one is obviously wealthy and the other one is clearly poor. You know the 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 wealthy individual we read here. He had you know rings on his finger. He had fine clothes on. I think some translations say he had bright clothes. You know it's drawing attention to other people. People are flocking you know to that individual, while the other one comes in. The Bible says with dirty clothing. Right? He didn't look as good. He wasn't as attractive. And it's bad enough uh, that uh, you know that they showed favoritism to the one but not the other. But they didn't just necessarily just ignore the other man, did they? What else did they do? Uh, verse verse 3. They told the man uh, at the very end there in that verse, You stand over there or sit down by my footstool. It was bad enough that, um, that they showed favoritism to the one individual... But to the other individual, they they kind of put him in his place, right? They said, go over and sit over there. Go sit by my footstool. Uh, Don't sit in a place of prominence. Again, showing partiality. And then, of course, James lets us know there in verse 4, when we did that, when we made distinctions, or when they made distinctions between the two individuals, they became judges with evil motives, Does this mean that God favors uh, the poor of this world over the materially blessed? Mm -hmm. Right. It's, uh, you know, although he's using the example of finances, right, we can uh, we can apply these passages to other areas of life, uh, whether, again, it's race or. male versus female or, you know, popularity status. You know, if a uh, a popular person of the community comes in versus an unpopular person of the community and we show favoritism. Again, we are we have become judges with evil motives, James says. And so he is imploring the Christians here uh, that he is writing to in this epistle to not show uh, favoritism. This is wrong, he says. Don't. don't define a person by the way their outward appearance looks uh, notice in verses six and six, well back up um, you know we, we can we could think of you remember the rich young ruler in scripture? I think he's mentioned in Matthew Mark, and Luke, so he's in there uh, in both or all three of those accounts, but you know the rich young ruler you think about him, you know he's kind of the you know the, the target of you know, what churches want to attract, uh, you know, today, right? They, they got this individual who, you know, he's young, he's a ruler, uh, he's rich, you know, that, that's sort of the, the, the kind of the, the clientele that a lot of churches, you know, are targeting, right? Uh, the, the, they want individuals uh, like that. But we understand that, you know, individuals like the rich young ruler, you know, what, what was his problem? Do we remember? Yeah, he had a covetous heart, right? He wouldn't. Uh, he asked Jesus what he needed to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus told him, uh, you know, do such and such, you know, follow these commands of the old law. And he said, I've done these things. And, uh, You know, Jesus said, then, you know, go and sell your possessions and give them to the poor and come and follow me. But he just couldn't give those things up. Right. He he had a covetous or a a covetous problem in his life. And, uh, you know, when we think of those who uh, maybe are not as material, materially blessed in this life, you know, they have much less to give up to follow Jesus right uh, we know that scripture talks a lot uh, about uh, covetousness about the love of money not that money is evil but the love of money is what scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 6 refers to as uh being uh, what's evil so uh you know James here verses you know 6 and 7 again you have dishonored the poor man when you uh, show this partiality again it's not the he makes another case for them. Uh, is, is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme uh, the fair name by which you have been called? And then in verses 8 through 13 that you know we're just not going to have the time to go in into detail. Uh, he tells them, you know, this is how you should live your life. Uh, notice in verse uh, 8, he says, if, however, you are fulfilling the royal law According to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You know, he refers to this as the royal law, right? This is the law of the king. It's a kingly law. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you show partiality, verse nine, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. So how can we overcome prejudice? I know I'm... Quickly running out of time. How can we overcome showing partiality? I think he he lists a lot of those things in those verses that we must remember. uh, The golden rule. What's the golden rule? Right. Do to others what you would like them to do to you. Right. I want others to be kind and considerate and courteous to me. Therefore, you know, I treat them the same way. Uh, He he references there the royal law. You shall love the neighbor as yourself. And again. you know, we again. We let's just end it on this thought uh, that, uh, as Hebrews two verse nine tells us, Jesus tasted death for everyone. Right? Again, we are all children of God. We all have a soul, and God is concerned for that soul. Uh, thank you uh, for your uh, attention this evening and your participation.